1: This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have California State Senator Stephen Bradford. In the wake of the George Floyd death, Senator Bradford introduced SB 731, decertification of police. But the bill, like many others, died on the floor of the Senate. Today, we will be talking to the Senator about this effort. Welcome to our show, Senator.
0: Thank you, Mr. Greenwald. I appreciate the invitation to discuss this important issue.
1: So what exactly is police decertification?
0: Police decertification is a method, a fair and equitable method of getting rid of rogue police officers. Officers that commit, uh, crimes, um, felonies, misconduct, and, um, and California is one of only five states that doesn't have a decertification process for, um, preventing rogue officers from resigning before being fired or even being fired and joining another agency. So um, SB 731 was a fair way of getting rid of those bad cops and preventing them from uh, being rehired at other agencies throughout the state of California.
1: And how does this process actually help us out uh, with the problem of policing today?
0: I think it's critical right now. As what we've seen, I mean, we can list uh, – I, 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 I'm frustrated at the number of people we can list who have died at the hands of police officers just since – The George Floyd incident, and it's countless more before that. And I think at some point, we as Californians, we as Americans need to know that uh, if you can get rid of a bad teacher, you can get rid of a bad lawyer, a bad doctor, even a bad elected official, you should have a method, a fair process of getting rid of bad officers and we all know the lion cheer men and women who put the badge on and the uniform on every day do it in an honorable and respectful way uh that truly uh, goes out to protect and serve but we have to admit there are rogue police officers and even we have individuals within police department who admit to that but there's no fair way of getting rid of these folks in california right now so i think the time has come and sb 731 was a straightforward fair method in doing such.
1: And can you describe what this moment is like in this nation? Are, are we at a critical moment that uh, we can see change?
0: I, I think the evidence is it's clear, uh, clear. I mean, look at the level of protest that we have seen across the state, across this nation. Since the killing of George Floyd, let's look at the uh, level of protest, peaceful, I might add, since the uh, AG's decision last week in Kentucky as it relates to Breonna Taylor, the level of protest that we saw in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with uh, the shooting of uh, Jacob Blake, uh, uh, in just outside, uh, in, in my district, I should say, on the night that... Uh, SB 731 did not get a hearing in the assembly on August 34th, 31st. They killed um, Dion Kizzi uh, uh, in my district. So um, we're at a critical, and, and so you see the protests there. So we've seen protests all over California, all across this nation, even around the world, asking for police reform and demanding it. And so we're at a critical state. I I think we all would have to agree to that because this protest is far more diverse based on race, age, gender, uh, geographic location. And I think the message is clear.
1: And I'm kind of curious. I mean, what is it about this moment that, uh, because I mean, unfortunately, uh, we've We've had thousands of uh, police deaths uh, since uh, 2015 uh, when Ferguson happened. Uh, what is it about now that makes things special?
0: I, I believe the fact that we almost are watching it in real time. We've seen the videos, and thanks to the ubiquitous cell phone with the video capabilities, it's almost become commonplace in our living rooms. And people are seeing the egregious acts. The, the great disparity on how black and brown folks are are dealt with when it comes to law enforcement versus other folks. Just this weekend, in uh, down in San Pedro, again in my district, a individual walked into the Harbor Area Police Station of LAPD. He manhandled and took the weapon away from the police officer, pistol whooped the pe- police uh, police officer fired shots at the police officer only for the watch commander to come out and return shots in the uh, lobby. The individual ran away, got in his car, and was speeding down the street, and he was confronted by law enforcement. Not a single shot was fired at that guy, despite the fact that they knew he was armed, despite the fact that he'd already fired at officers, and he was taken alive. What's the difference between a George Floyd and a a, a, uh, Jacob Blake? Is that this individual was white. Had that been a black person running from the police, unarmed, chances are he would not be alive today to face his day in court. So people are seeing clearly the great disparities when it comes to race and law enforcement. And that's what I think people are, are sick tired of tired seeing. And, and the evidence is clear.
1: And, and I'm really wondering, so, uh, so given all of that, how does decertification kind of fit into this moment and solve some of these problems that we're seeing?
0: Because it's the method of getting rid of these rogue officers, because what we've seen, it's a police department which will remain nameless in uh, the Central Valley. 20 of their officers that now work for that department are officers who were either fired or were on the verge of being fired for uh, inappropriate actions, use of deadly force, uh, unjustified shootings, but before they were fired or even after they were fired, these small agencies who do not have a large budget, they usually hire these guys. So we never get rid of the problem. We just put them now more into these small, underserved communities, and that's the type of policing that we get. In uh, affluent communities, you don't have, they don't fear, I should say, the police. In these small minority communities, we fear the police because we know the, the, the heavy-handed way that we are dealt with. In affluent communities, you have crime suppression. In minority and poor communities, you have community oppression by law enforcement. And people have seen it. And it, it's just to the point where decertification will kind of get rid of this cycle, this cycle we call of wash, wrench, and repeat and allowing these bad actors to continue on. Even good officers say we're sick and tired of these bad op- officers in our department. But due to the code of blue and the, and the silence, very few will ever speak out. We've had police uh, police chiefs go on go off record and clearly state, I wish we had a way of getting rid of some of these bad officers. So police decertification gives them that tool.
1: A few years ago in, in my community, there was a uh, police officer who came in ended up, uh, teasing a couple of, uh, college students. Uh, they, they looked at the video and, uh, they dismissed him from the department, he ends up going to this other community and, uh, and they hire him, even though the police chief up here said, don't hire this guy. Uh, and then of course he does the same thing in the other,
0: uh, community.
1: It's crazy.
0: It is. And, and and that's what people are frustrated about. And if for 45 other states to see a need to have a, a, a fair process, mind you, to get rid of these rogue officers. And even the good officers will tell you these bad officers put a stain and taint the entire department. They, too, want a process. But for some reason, police unions are saying no, saying 731 was unfair. It was one of the most fair, equitable ap- approaches to decertification. It provided uh, officers with their day in, uh, in you know, in court, or, or should I say, before the review board. It provided citizens a say in this process, and it had teeth. And that's what people want. It had transparency. It had. A fair approach for the officers to make their arguments on why they shouldn't be decertified, but it also gave a citizen's input. And again, just what you described, people are sick of that. And it exists not only here in California, but uh, in other places. And, and 45 other states have said enough, enough, enough of this. Let's put an end to this recycling of these bad officers.
1: So why is California standing out here? Why why can't California deal with this problem when most other states have been able to?
0: Uh, that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question. Because uh, the week after Mr. Floyd was killed, seventy plus members of the legislature took a knee on the west steps of the Capitol in honor of Mr. Floyd uh in eight minutes and 46 seconds uh, they took a knee uh, the time that the police officer had his knee on mr floyd's neck and fast forward to august 31st uh, members of the legislature came up with a million and one reasons why they weren't ready to vote for this measure but to say that the bill died is a little inaccurate it was it never had its day on the assembly floor um it was stated that we did not have the votes. But as I stated, you wouldn't know we had the votes until we were able to bring the bill up. And many times you bring a bill up and you listen to the floor debate and members are swayed one way or the other by the floor debate who haven't made their mind up yet. We had 31 members who said they were willing to vote for this uh, measure and we had another 14 that were lean. So had we had our opportunity to... Uh, um, make the uh, pre- make the presentation on the floor and members are able to work those members. I truly believe we could have got to 41, but due to the truncated process and the fact that uh, the clock was running out on it that night, members used that as their excuse not to vote for it. And I, I think it puts a stain on California. We all often say so goes California, so goes the nation. But here when it comes to real police reform, we're lagging behind 45 other states.
1: And what do you think it is? Just a matter of time, or do you think that uh, the leadership was afraid to bring this forward for whatever reason?
0: I think it was a combination of both. Um, you know, time was clearly an issue. Um, there were, are a lot of members who were up for reelection. So the number one uh, objective uh, of any good leader is member protection. So if they found a way to prevent their, members from having to take a vote on this measure. um, That was uh, being considered. But I think had this been a regular legislative year and the constituents, the families who had lost someone to law enforcement had the opportunity to flood the halls of the Capitol and sit across the desk and look their representatives in the eye and have them ask him, are you going to vote for this measure? It would have been a lot different outcome, but being the fact that, you know, they couldn't come into the building and only the lobbyists had access and I'm not saying access to the building, but he had their personal phone numbers of many of the legislators and, and call them and come up with all the reasons why they shouldn't uh, vote for this bill that outweighed the fact that John Q public. The parents, the siblings, the the children of these folks who have lost their uh, lives to law enforcement weren't able to come into the building because they would have been on planes, trains, automobiles, and they would have flooded this capital this year in support of this bill. We had tremendous grassroots support, not only from, uh, like I say, the families, but entertainers, athletes, Kyle Kuzma of the Lakers, uh, Aloe Black, fantastic uh, entertainer. Uh, Chelsea Handler, Robert De Niro, I can go on and on and on about Kim Kardashian, all who are supporting this measure because they know the time is now. And if not now, then when?
1: And yet the law enforcement sees this somehow as a threat, right?
0: Yes. Why is that? because they don't want change they they constantly met with me and said oh yeah we're for decertification but not this they they had problems with the makeup of the advisory panel it was a nine-member panel made up of uh six uh citizens and one from a victim's family who and three law enforcement. They didn't like the composition, so we agreed at the 11th hour to change the composition and make it five and four. Five citizen review, strike the victim's family member, and give them an additional law enforcement to make it five and four. That wasn't good enough for them. Oh, well, we don't trust the letter to the journal at the last hour that, you know, they would adhere to what we've agreed to. They also asked for, um, what was it? It was an, uh, another appeal process. The appeals process was there. We had agreed to the appeal process. We had agreed to the composition, changing the composition of the board. Uh, they also was pushing back on the Bain Act, which allows a family who's lost someone uh, to uh, police violence to sue that officer they were opposed to that and we were a firm, firm belief if the officer didn't have any skin in the game why would he change his or her behavior so we were uh, pretty much steadfast on keeping the bane act there and many folks wanted it there but um you know they they there law enforcement at the end of the day really didn't want this change and they can say all what they are saying that, yes, we are for police certification. And we said, then why oppose this bill? Because every amendment that they put forth all but killed this bill.
1: And I've been doing this for a long time. Like, I mean, like 20, 20 years and the police are against every single reform that I've ever seen come forward in the legislature, Every single one, pretty much, that have come forward in local communities. Police are afraid of any change. I mean, it's ridiculous. You would think that they would I agree. Would want- they, they,
0: they've had it their way for so long. and That's what they uh, continue to advocate for, and, and, and they constantly say, oh, this is a— Threat to law enforcement? No, it wasn't. I mean, this was a fair, equitable measure, uh, again, of getting rid of those rogue police officers. And ask, even if the officers admit that a small percentage are committing these crimes. Then, what are you fearful of? If 95% of your, the men and women who do the job are doing it in an honorable and respectful way, then what are you fearful of? And that's the question we kept asking. If you all but admit that there's a small percentage in your department uh, that are doing this, then it's only a small percent who who will be affected by this. The majority of the men and women, this will mean nothing no matter how the bill was written. But for some reason, they're just uh, steadfast on wanting to keep things the way they have been, the good old boys way that it's been like this for over 100 years.
1: And you would think they would want to get rid of the bad cops because the bad cops are making their lives harder.
0: That's what they all say. That's what they all say individually. We need a method of getting rid of those bad apples, those bad apples that we know exist. Well, here was that opportunity to do so. 731 was the answer to what they claim they wanted and they supported. But, again, when it came time for the rubber to meet the road, they found a way to balk and say, no, this is going too far. It's an overreach, you know, it would have severe consequences uh, against officers. And, but again, those were disingenuous, dishonest arguments when you look at the bill and how it was uh, drafted.
1: Now, it wasn't just your bill that went down. Most of the major police reform bills did not gain legislative support. I, I mean, why can't a Democratic um you know, legislature with two thirds majority in both houses pass more legislation
0: this year? (laughs) That's a good question. I mean, you had SB 776, which increases transparency on police records. Why wouldn't you want to have access to police records? That didn't get a hearing. Restricting the use of rubber bullets and chemical agents on protesters, that didn't get a hearing. Failure to intervene, that didn't get move forward. And uh, compensation for police brutality victims, that didn't get an opportunity to be heard. I mean, these are common sense measures. And you would think, again, being as progressive as California is with a Democratic majority, that these measures would have moved forward uh, with the greatest of ease, especially with a majority of— um, Uh, two thirds in both houses of Democrats. And again, those measures didn't see the light of day, uh, this legislative session.
1: So are you planning to resubmit?
0: Oh, without a doubt. We've already, uh, start working on this. We have a strong commitment from, uh, president pro tem, Tony Atkins, as well as, uh, speaker Rendon, uh, to move forward. Uh, I've already made the commitment to reinduce this bill. Our, uh, coalition is, is bigger and better and getting stronger by the day they're just as committed as they were, more so, I should say, um, so the advocates are, are, on, are well on board for the reintroduction of this. We uh, have good indication that we'll even have a greater presence from celebrities and athletes who uh, were truly uh, disappointed that this measure didn't get its opportunity uh, to be heard uh, on the assembly floor on the last night of session. So, uh, yes, we're moving forward with it and we're we're just as committed, and I should say more so now, uh, due to what has happened since um, the last night of session and what continued, what has happened uh, throughout the state and the country over the last year.
1: So you don't think that this has uh, been losing steam over the last month or so? Uh,
0: I've done more interviews on this issue than anything I've done (laughs) combined as an elected official over the last 22 years. So from a press and media standpoint, I would say no. Uh, We're hoping, again, from uh, society as a whole, I think, again, when you look at what's going on in relationship to Breonna Taylor and not not any of those officers charged with her death, I, I, I think... The 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 commitment commitment is strong for real reform in this country when it comes to law enforcement. So I'm hoping we can maintain that energy, that commitment, that focus. Um, we have to work yeah on our colleagues to let them know that this still is a priority. But I, I think we're, we're going to be in good shape when we introduce reintroduce this uh, measure.
1: And, and what is your reaction to Brianna Taylor and the decisions that were made in Kentucky?
0: I I was appalled by that, to only charge one officer officer with wanting endangerment simply because he fired three bullets into the neighboring apartment that happened to be occupied by a white family, but you see no value in charging this officer for the 32 shots that you fired into Breonna Taylor's apartment. That killed her? I I mean, Ray Charles can see this is an issue of race. I mean, how can you value, again, one race's life over another to find that only the wanting endangerment should be imposed simply because you fired into a white apartment? And it was other folks who uh, also were appalled at the fact that you fired into their apartments as well, but only as it related to this one... uh uh uh, apartment that you charge this one officer despite the fact that 32 bullets were fired into this apartment of a sleeping woman on a forged warrant that was gotten illegally or you know under false pretenses and you see no value in her life and that's part of the frustration as it relates to the reverence of life when it comes to black and brown people. There were more people appalled as well as I was when you saw the attempted assassination of those two LA Sheriff's deputies a few weeks ago. And again, in my district, but you had a president that was literally silent on the fact that Jacob Blake was shot seven times in the back with his children in the car. How is that any less cowardly than what that, that individual did when he walked up to that police car? Tell me, how is that any less cowardly? How is it any less cowardly that you stand on a man's neck for nine minutes while people watching and, and kill him? That uh, Ahmad Aubrey jogging through a neighborhood is shot, literally assassinated for jogging in the wrong neighborhood. But you're not appalled by that, but you're incensed by the fact that you walked up and shot into a police car. The reverence and value of life should be just as, you know, uh, respected, regardless of you're in a uniform or not, regardless of your color, we should value life to the same extent. And we don't.
1: One of the things that I'm concerned about, um, and I've seen a lot, unfortunately, are these high stakes, high... uh, high danger raids uh, that take place in the middle of the night. I mean, you know, somebody busts down my door at, at 1240 at night. I am not thinking that's the cops.
0: <laughs> Without a doubt. And especially in a state such as Kentucky that has a stand your ground law, defensive castle law, and you're, you you and, and a right to carry a state and I assure you, had that been a a, a reverse roles and you were kicking down the door of a white family and they picked up their gun and shot, they would say, hey, they were defending, you know, they they were doing what the law allows them to do. But uh, Breonna Taylor's boyfriend was arrested and held for a number of days and was initially charged with attempted murder on a a police officer. (laughs) But, yeah, who who wouldn't react in the same way you have somebody in the middle of the night, cloak of darkness, kicking down your door with no announcement of who you are. And I, I, I think anybody uh, would react in the same uh, 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 measure, measure had they owned a weapon and uh, were confronted with a similar situation.
1: So what do you see as the priorities for police reform in the next term?
0: Well, here in California, I think, again, police decertification, uh, the right to intervene, and, um, well, this measure has been passed, and we hope the governor signs it. Uh, evaluation of uh, recruitment uh, for racial bias evaluation during hiring. I mean, that's on the governor's desk, and that's critically important because if you saw that, there was an FBI report that clearly documented the largest infiltration of white supremacists in KKK in America is in law enforcement. That's where they're being hired more so than anywhere else. That should be of great concern to everyone, regardless of race, that here, what has been also identified last week as the greatest terrorist threat to the United States, no foreign individuals, the greatest terrorist attack based on the FBI FBI report that came out last week is from white supremacist organizations, and we're seeing Those are the people who are being hired by law enforcement. That should uh, uh, create cause and concern for all of us. And I think that's what we need to do, a better job of recruiting men and women uh, on law enforcement who are from the community, who understand the community. And that needs to be a priority uh, for not only the state, but this country as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a good point. Uh, We watch... uh police officers uh, get on the stand and testify in cases all the time. And it's really scary sometimes to listen to these guys talking, going, man, this guy has a badge, a gun and can arrest you. And that guy is ignorant of the law, doesn't understand anything. And if, if the uh, defense attorney is skilled at all, they can pull out his racial bias all day long. And and these are the guys that uh, they're hiring.
0: I have a friend, a childhood friend who just retired a few years ago after 35 years on the LAPD and 35 years, he drew his weapon one time and fired it one time and struck somebody in the leg because he purposely aimed there. And he says, if officers truly wanted to wound someone, he says they could uh yes you're trailing uh training to fire at center mass but if you really wanted to and for someone who was not a direct threat you could clearly wound them i say all that to say he says when he was in the academy he says steve we weren't taught to testify we were taught to test a lie and that was telling he says we were taught to test the lie he says, to change the scenario to where it was to our benefit to justify whatever actions that they took at that particular situation. And, and and, and that's what you get many a times on the witness stand. And as you spoke to the ignorance of some of these officers, I remember years ago I got stopped by a police officer and I asked him why he was stopping me. And he was giving me this, you know, this nebulous gray reason. And I said, so either you're adhering to the rule of law or you're applying the color of law. And he took offense. Oh, your color has nothing to do with what I'm, I says, that's not what the color of law means. The color of law means you paint it the way you want it. You view it the way you want it versus what's black and white. And he, he was unfamiliar with that. He thought I was just simply saying simply because I was black, he was dealing, that was the color of law. I says, no. I says, if you ever taking any part of a legal course, it's clearly documented the rule of law and it's the color of law. And that's what is applied in the courtroom all the time, how you paint the scenario the way you want to. But many of these guys, again, many of these guys and women who are on these police departments have no more than a high school diploma. And I think we also should require more from an individual who has the right to take a life I, you know, I, I think you need more education than a high school diploma and, and being better educated, I think would uh, force people to have, uh, use better decisions and, uh, and, and rationale before, uh, acting sometime, but to come straight out of high school, some of these folks know more than a GED and that's all you need to be hired by law enforcement agencies across this country. I think we should raise the bar.
1: Yeah, I agree. But uh, back to the test line, uh it was really interesting. You probably saw this, uh, I think it's a decade old now, but the the New York Times did this expose on test lying and they found, like, uh, in just the sample, like 20% of the cases, the officers were lying. And, of course, nothing ever happens to them, and most of the time nobody ever finds out.
0: Th- that's true. I mean, come on, let's look at it. <laughs> we can just use... Central Park Five, 20 years ago. I mean, to sit there and have these five individuals uh, admit to a crime that they didn't do because they were coerced by these law law enforcement officers to admit to something, to intimidate these young people. Um, it, it's yeah, it's scary how they bend the truth all the time to make it out to you know, justify their actions or uh, the outcome that they want. Uh, When you think about the number of individuals who are arrested and in prison because of false testimony uh, by law enforcement, it, it should make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up.
1: Well, Senator, it's been great having you on the show. That's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me, and this is an important uh, topic, and I appreciate your interest in this, and I look forward to our further discussions if the opportunity presents itself.
1: Thank you. That was Thank you. Senator Stephen Bradford, his bill SB 731 uh, would have uh, led to decertification of the police, as he explained it, 45 of the 50 states have this, California, the progressive California, the California that has two-thirds in both houses of the legislature as Democrats could not pass it in 2020, the year of policing, the year of George Floyd. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system.